Amen. All right. You can keep your Bibles open to that passage. John chapter 15, verses 14 to 15. Be looking at that today. Uh, let's read that again together. Uh, one, two, three, go. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Amen. Do you know that you are a friend of God? I don't think you've heard me. Do you know that you are a friend of God? I know there's a song about it. But do you really know what it means to be a friend of God? That's my question for you today. You know, I think there's a lot of people in the church uh, that love God and they see themselves as servants of God. But I look around, I don't see many people experiencing friendship with God. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a lot of people in this room. And uh, I'm your pastor. And, you know, you guys are members of this church. I'm your pastor. I'm your pastor. But some of y'all will call me your friend. Amen? Do I have any friends in here? What the... Yeah, and, and, and uh, if you call me your friend, hopefully I would affirm the same for you, right? Uh, but in that way, not everybody in here would be able to really affirm that they have a friendship with me. You Either you have it or you don't. You know, you either you have it or you don't, you know? And when it comes down to it, there's a lot of people in the church, they know they are a friend of God, but they don't really have it yet. They're not really experiencing friendship with God. You know, we're going to ask ourselves, why is it that so many people do not experience friendship with God in the church? We know how to be servants of God. We know how to be children of God. But why is friendship with God so elusive to many of us? I have a few um, explanations, reasons. And uh, the first one comes from James chapter 4, verse 4. Why don't you turn there if you uh, have your Bibles. We're reading from the ESV. James chapter 4, verse 4. I don't really have to turn there. Usually I'm up here. I'm pretending I'm turning, but I actually have it written out. I have it printed out on my sheet. But anyway, uh, God bless you. You guys turn there. Hurry up. <laughs> All right, James chapter 4, verse 4. Why is it that so many people do not experience friendship with God in the church? All right. Let's go for it, right? James chapter 4, 4 says, You adulterous people... Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I think one of the first reasons why people don't enjoy friendship with God is they're too busy being friends with the world. Can I get an amen? I hope you're affirming the truth and not that that's what you're doing. Anyway, 
I'm not saying that you can't be friends with non-Christians. In fact, Jesus was known to be a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Right? And we should also live our lives in the same way. We shouldn't come off with this holier-than-thou aura, this religious beat-you-down, I'm better-than-you kind of attitude. You know, we need to be, you need to befriend non-Christians. You need to befriend people that people, other people will see as being sinners, you know. We need to be unashamed. A friend of God is unashamed to be friends of so-called sinners. But I am saying, I'm not saying that you can't be friends with non-Christians, but I am saying that you cannot be buddy-buddy with the world. That's like the best American type phrase I can come up with. So if you don't know what buddy-buddy means, go find out, right? You can't be buddy-buddy with with the world. You can't adopt the value systems of the world, their forms of entertainment, their ways of thinking, their patterns of dealing with life. You know, if you admire and you try to be like everyone on that show called Friends, okay, uh, you will find yourself feeling distant from God. Everybody on that show, Friends, they have no relationship with God if you didn't notice. Phoebe's spirituality is anything but holy. Uh, actually, I, I stop dogging on her. She's, she's cool. I hope she finds Christ. I mean, not that she's a real character, but if she was. You know. Anyway, hallelujah. You know, if you look up to the friends that you see on that show and you want to be like them, you want to be a friend, and you, you, know, that's, you adopt everything, you admire and you try to be like them, you'll find yourself feeling distant from God. You will even find yourself feeling opposed to the things of God. And why would you even feel that when you're a Christian? Why? It's because the Bible says friendship with the world is enmity, is in opposition, is in collision with the things of God. So if you are buddy-buddy with the world, you will have a hard time entering into friendship with God. You cannot be friends with the world and claim Jesus as your BFF. I was watching uh, this TV show. We just got rid of cable, by the way, uh, because it's full of the devil sometimes. All right. So we just got rid of the cable. But um, there's a show on TV called uh, Paris Hilton's BFF. This is a bunch of girls and one Asian dude. uh, And they were on the show, and they're all trying to be Paris Hilton's BFF. I know that sounds really shallow and stupid, but uh, it's quite entertaining, actually, a little bit. (laughs) But anyway, you can't be Jesus' BFF. You can't claim him as your BFF while all along you're smoozing and you're buddying it up with the world. Right? You will find it very difficult to enter into friendship. Right? Number one thing, you got, if you're living that way, you're living in the world and doing the things of the world and you're valuing the things of the world, you need to repent. You need to come before the cross and give to God a heart of full surrender. Not partial Okay, partial surrender will only get you so far. I'm talking about full surrender, repentance, turning from the things of the world that displease and hurt the heart of our Father, and turning to God fully. Uh, I think another, um, actually, before I get to that, uh, there, I think there's three elements of friendship with God that we must understand because these elements do not apply to our friendships with the people around us. Right, obviously, friendship with God is a little bit different than friendship with 
you know, Mikey here or Marcus, you know, it's the dynamics are a little bit different. So let me point out three elements about your friendship with God that, that help us to understand how we can enter into friendship with God. Uh, Psalm 25, verse 14. Why don't we turn there together? Psalm 25, verse 14. The first element of friendship with God says in Psalm 25, 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who what? Who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Not only head knowledge, but if you really want to know God, you really want to know God in relationship, you, you got to begin with the fear of the Lord. We need to understand the various truths that are contained there. The fear of the Lord allows someone to enter into friendship with God. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. We need to know that when we have friendship with God, you know, like you can be friends with God, but you better remember that He's God. You know what I mean? You got to just fear him. You got to have a healthy trembling for him. A second element of our friendship with God that's different than our friends with, of the earth uh, is James 2.23. I'll read that for you. Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Second dimension element of friendship with God is faith. Obviously, this element is missing in your relationship, in your friendship with your friends, right? Like, you're, like if I want to be friends with Martin, Martin does not say, you must have faith in me to be my friend. All right, that's just going to be weird. Why? Because, you know, Martin is just a man. But when we approach the holiness and the sovereignty of God, when we approach the words of God, when we approach relationship with him, we must come with faith. If we are missing faith, we will not be able to enter into true friendship with God. Third comes from Proverbs 22, verse 11. I'll read that for you as well. It says, he who loves purity of heart, or in the NIV it says pure heart. He who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. Hallelujah. Amen. Third element of friendship with God is you got to have a pure heart. You got to have a pure heart. You know, you can be friends with a lot of people in this world, in this room, in this world. And you can have ulterior motives. You can come at them and be like, what? What? He, he has what? He, he drives what car? What? Brian Wee drives an SM7? I want to be his friend, right? And you may have these ulterior, secret, impure motives. And you can try being his friend. And guess what? Brian Wee may just fall for it and just be like, all right, get in my car. All right. Hey, a nice shirt you got there. Hey, you know, let's go hang out, you know. Um, but this will not work with God. Why? Because God sees your heart. So you can't be his friend when you got all kinds of nasty gunk in there. When you have all kinds of ulterior motives. When you got your hands still on the things of the world and you're trying to tell God, 
on Sunday, hey, Lord, you have my whole heart. Lord, I give you my heart. Lord, I'm a friend of God. But then the rest of the week, you're buddy-buddy with the world. You cannot enter into friendship with God when you don't have a pure heart. So those three elements, right? You got to have fear of the Lord. You got to have faith. And you got to have a pure heart. Those three elements distinguish friendship with God from friendship with people on this earth. Now, uh, so, you know, the first reason why I listed uh, why people in the church are not experiencing friendship with God is because uh, when it comes down to it, they're, uh, they don't really have the fear of the Lord. They're buddy-buddy with the world. Uh, they're not living a life of faith. And they're not keeping a pure heart. Right? But there's another reason. There's people who actually have a surrendered heart. They, they're living before God with a pure heart. They have, um, they have tremendous faith. They are walking by faith. There's people that have a healthy fear of the Lord, but they're still not experiencing friendship with God. And so another reason that I would like to offer is I think a lot of people in the church are not experiencing friendship with God is because they've been beaten down by religious spirits. You know, those people that are pure, all holy, they appear all Christian. They look great on the outside. Their resume has been just polished. They're religious. They're, they, they have everything going for them on the outside. But their, their hearts are not really where the heart of the Lord is. Right? And, and religious spirits, they beat down people in the church all the time. People who have a pure heart before God. And they say stuff like, you know, you, know, you, you can't. You can't be a friend of God. I know it says it in the Bible, you, you know, but you're just uh, unworthy. You're just a servant. You're, you know, you're saved by grace. You're a sinner saved by grace. And that's their emphasis. And you know what? We need to remember indeed that we are sinners saved by grace. But that, that emphasis of being a sinner saved by grace is not an emphasis that you hold on to in order to mature. It is an emphasis that you hold on to when, you're, when you just enter the kingdom of God. When you've just become a Christian. It's a healthy emphasis then. But as you mature, if you're, that's all your emphasis. You just stay there. You know, I'm just, a, I'm just such a sinner. I'm just such a failure. There's not a day that goes by without me sinning against God. And that's all you stay at. You will never mature and you will never enter into friendship with God. And you know what? I'm getting a lot of blank stares right now because many of you have grown up in churches where you have been beaten down in this way. And you have been taught that this is noble, that this is faith, that this is righteousness, is that you put this emphasis on yourself so that you stay humble. You stay servant. You stay just a sinner. Saved by grace. But brothers and sisters, man, if you look all throughout the Bible, man, that is not the emphasis that God gives to those who are growing in faith and in the fear of the Lord and with a pure heart. You know, when Paul addresses the church, where is his emphasis on? He does not call them sinners saved by grace at the church in Corinth. I write to you to encourage you, sinners. Remember, you're sinners saved by grace. You are you have brought nothing and you are worthless. You are in enmity and the wrath of God was on your life. But remember, yes, you are a sinner. Just in case you forget. No, don't, don't do that. He calls them saints. 
And, you know, and, and the Catholic Church, you think, you know, oh, you got to go through this, you know, exoneration process after you're dead to become a saint. But you know what? That's just the traditions of man. That's not Bible. The Word of God tells us that we are saints of God. If you are saved, you are a saint. Even if you're a baby Christian, you are a saint. Because, you see, by the cross of Christ, there is a positional holiness that you enter into the moment you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that's called justification. It's positional holiness before God. So when God sees you, literally, he sees a saint. He sees someone who is holy, made righteous. sees holiness. Amen. Uh, hallelujah. Let me give... Uh, I got a little sidetracked. But let's go back to my message. Go to John chapter 15 again. Let's stay there. And I want to preach about entering into a friendship with God. John chapter 15, verse 14 and 15. I'm going to read that again. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. I have called you chingu, amiga. Uh, I ran out of languages. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, whatever y'all said. Uh, I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you enter into your identity as a friend of God, there's a lot of changes that happen. Your shift goes from tasks to the one who's giving the tasks. You know, if you were a butler, if you were my butler, you better focus on the tasks that I give you. Because guess what? You're my butler. You know, like Mr. Belvedere, you know, or... Or Jeffrey from Fresh Prince, you know, they are they are focused on tax, you know. But where we see ourselves a, as a servant, as a butler before God, Jesus is saying here, I'm no longer calling you a servant. I'm no longer you're no longer a butler. You're not just supposed to just do things. I'm calling you a friend. That's a huge shift. And it's one that a lot of people who've been beaten down by religion, they have a hard time entering into. They feel guilty entering into it. I'm telling you right now, that is not a spirit that has come from God. God wants us to grow into maturity. He wants to come bring us into positions of authority. He wants to entrust not just small things, but big things to us. He wants to give us the kingdom. Hallelujah. So, you know, that's one of the shifts. You go from tasks to the one who gives the tasks. You know, when Jesus gave this revelation, he did so by describing the difference between two positions. He said that servants have no idea what the master is doing. They're just simply given the task assigned. They're happy with that. And that's what they do. Uh, They don't have access to the personal, intimate intentions of their master. They are task-oriented. Obedience is the primary focus of a servant because that is what their success depends on. But friends have a different focus. You know, some people might think that it's blasphemous to say that obedience is not the top concern of a friend. When you become a friend, when you enter into friendship with God, 
Obedience is very important because Jesus said right here, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Obviously, obedience is, is essential. But friends have their greatest concern not in being disobedient. It's not about disobedience. It's about disappointment. Because you're talking about relationship here. With this revelation of friendship, Jesus was trying to shift the paradigms of the disciples from commandments to the wisdom of the commandments. He's trying to shift their focus from assignments to relationship. From what I do for him to how my choices affect God. It's a much deeper um, dimension of identity. It's a deeper dim- dimension of our, the identities that we can have with God. And with friendship, God grants us incredible freedom. You know, some people are very uncomfortable with freedom. But you know what? God, you know, and like God doesn't want you just to blindly obey whatever he tells you. Right? Uh, God's, God wants you to, to live in his freedom and he wants his heart to become the source of your inspirations. Hallelujah. I'm not Bill Johnson. I'm not quite able to word it the way he does. <laughs> anyway, um, when you enter into friendship with God, instead of working for him, we work with him. There is a partnership. Remember the great commission I talked about last week, the apostolic commission? You got to remember the word co is in there. It is a co-mission. The great commission is only going to be fulfilled when we are in partnership with God. Hallelujah. Um, Bill Johnson said it like this in his, brick, in his book, Dreaming with God. He said, we work not for his favor, but from his favor. You know, when you enter into friendship with God, the negative things that people say about you, it doesn't shake you up like it used to. You know, a lot of people, they just want to stay as a servant. But I'm telling you, that we need to be, we need to move on into friendship. We need to go deeper. We need to rise up higher. Because when you just stay a servant, man, whatever things people say, man, it's just going to toss you around. But when you're in friendship with God, no matter what they say, it's not really going to shake you over or affect you. Christians who live out of who they really are cannot be crippled by the opinions of others. It's a wonderful benefit of entering into friendship. With God. Um, when you are a friend, when you enter into friendship with God, you also are given the secrets of God's heart and of his kingdom. You know, uh, I ain't never seen a master tell his servants any secrets. Right? Secrets are reserved for friends. And some of us, we never press in for the secret things of God. We, we think that everything is just plopped down and given to us. And we don't press in. We don't, that's why we don't really dig into the word of God at times. But, but we are to seek for the wisdom and the knowledge of God and the secrets of his kingdom like one who digs for treasure. We got to really seek after it. And it is the heart of the father to reveal to you the secrets of the kingdom. But only a friend will press in for that. Somebody say amen. amen. And when we think of, you know, when you enter into friendship with God, what, how we think of the will of God is also changes. You know, many of us 
in our young Christianity, you know, many of us in our young walk of faith, we think of the will of God, the perfect will of God, we think of it as something that's static, something that's fixed and not changeable. You know, we, we, that's the only way we think about it. We think of God's perfect will. We think of what major does God want me to study? What career does he want me to pursue? Who, what is the name of the person he wants me to marry? And we just think very rigidly, we think that the will of God is very static. At this and this day, there's an expiration day and this ends and this is supposed to begin. And we just need to find out. That's why our approach to seeking the will of God is more about information rather than relationship. It's more about knowing what are the details of his will rather than really discovering and engaging in the various aspects of his will. Hallelujah, man. I am not Bill Johnson. I'll tell you right now. But praise the Lord because I'm entering into a new level of preaching. Hallelujah. You know, and I want to, you know, and I'm getting blank stares. It's okay, though. For the people that, that are ready, you guys are getting in. And then the rest of the message is fairly basic. So you guys, everyone should be able to. To understand this, hallelujah. <laughs> not, not the doggone people that aren't getting anything right now. I just, just press in. Press in. You're a friend of God. And you could be my friend too. Pastor's Cafe after we're uh, church today. You really want to be my friend? Come over to my house. But you must be a newcomer from the last three months. Yeah. I can't have everybody coming over. All right. You know, in the Bible, uh, there's, a, there's a, a passage in the Bible where God announces to Moses... Uh, that he has decided, he is fed up with the people of Israel, and he's decided to just destroy them. And he, and he tells Moses, uh, get out of my way so I could destroy these people that you have led out of Egypt. So how does Moses respond? Moses responds by saying, reminds God that they weren't his people, they were God's people. And that it wasn't me who led them out of Egypt, it was you, O oh Lord. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, it was you who did it. Right? And he, and he, uh, and, and, and what happens is he reminds God that these are his people. You know, how can you just destroy them? You bring them out here. You're going to get a bad reputation, God. And God responds by basically acknowledging that Moses was right and then promises not to kill them anymore. And the amazing thing about this passage is not that God changes mind. Wow. Moses made God change his mind. Right? This is not... The amazing thing about this passage, the amazing thing about this passage was that God expected Moses to come into the counsel of his will. This is the kind of friendship that Moses enjoyed with God. Where God said one thing, but he expected Moses to step in. And he invited him into the counsel of his will. And you know what? The Bible says the same was true of Abraham. And the primary focus of God's will in all of this wasn't whether to destroy Israel or not. See, we have that pragmatic view of, of the perfect will of God. The issue here wasn't whether to destroy Israel or not. It was to bring Moses into the process. God's will... It's not all about destinations and goals, brothers and sisters. It's not the only element of finding out the will of God. And it's a very choleric approach. And I confess that that's the way I oftentimes think of the will of God. 
But I'm telling you here today that the will of God is not all about goals and destinations. It is also focused on people, on his friends, drawing near into his presence and speaking forth as ones whose desires have been sanctified by God. It's a more it's, it's a sanguine element to the perfect will of God. The will of God is not all about the outcome. It is about also being engaged in the process. And the will of God is much more dynamic than it is static. I found this out in my prayers for my wife. You know, when I was praying about my future wife, you know, I would always pray, Lord, just show me who she is. And then I meet somebody that I find interesting and I say, Lord, is she my wife? Lord, is she my wife? Lord, is she my wife? And God would just be silent. And I would keep asking, Lord, is she my wife? And, you know, if, if, I, if I didn't feel like God gave me a red light, I would take it as a yellow light. And I would kind of proceed a little bit. I would ask the girl out or I would let her know about my feelings, you know. I would show her the three months of journaling that I had been doing for, on her behalf and just be like, hey, I, I really like you. Uh, I, I think this may be the will of God, you know. And, you know, that's, that's what a lot of Christian brothers do, though. You know, they, they, they proceed into relationships like, you know, God told me so. God told me you and my wife. Hey, sisters, if some brother tells you that, all right, give him a spiritual slap in the face. I'm serious. Okay, this is not the ways of God. I mean, sometimes he does that, but I think it's more the exception than the rule. All right, and, and a lot of guys, they, they take this approach. And, you know, and it just, it's just so, so pragmatic. It's so choleric. Doesn't give the girl any opportunity to pray about it. Doesn't give her an opportunity to really discover whether it's God's will as well. Doesn't give her an opportunity to even like the guy. You know? She has to decide whether to marry him right there or not, you know? And in my, in my pursuit of Aaron, when I was praying about Aaron, you know, I spent, uh, I spent a couple months praying about her through this consecrated period. And at the end of the period, I was leaning more toward not asking her out. Because uh, what had happened was, when I was praying in my prayer closet, uh, God just kept asking me, what do you think? And I was like, Lord, I don't want to, it's not about what I think, it's about what you think, Lord. It's about your will. Do you want me to marry her or not? And God was like, well, do you like her? What do you think about her? And I said, well, you know, she's cute. And, you know, she's kind of funny. And she got that little ghetto thing going for her as well. And, and uh, wait, hold on a minute. Lord, tell me if she's my wife or not. That's all I want to know. And what I found surprising was God was, he wasn't telling me the answer. He was just saying, what do you think? What do you think? And then when I thought it was just all in my head, a prophet prayed for me. And she, she, she emailed me these words. She said, Lord God, Christian is wanting an answer. He wants just a slap in the face. He wants to know whether it's yes or no. He doesn't want to beat around the bush. He doesn't want to waste his time. Lord, what is your answer for him? And then she wrote, Lord, I sense that you're telling Christian that he's asking the wrong question. The, the question you want him to ask is not, is she my wife or not? The question you want him to ask is, how can Christian serve Aaron at this time? Amen. <laughs> and I was so pragmatic about just getting to the goal. And here's God more concerned about the process. 
You know, and he wanted to engage me. He wanted to know what my desires were. And he actually wanted me to, he wanted to hear from me what I thought of Aaron. You know? And so, you know, anyway, hallelujah, man. I'll tell you right now, we did not enter into the relationship. And we, we actually went out for two weeks and then we broke up because her, her father had said no to the relationship. So, you know, as a man of God, when you hear that, you know, you need to honor that. You need, to, you need to get separate and you need to pray and you need to see if God's going to bring, bring you a different outcome from that. So we, you know, we broke up for two months. And during those two months, we had no idea. There was no God told me so. It was like, you know, like this, like God kept just asking me, you know, well, what do you think? What do you think? You know? And so during that period, man, it was like this blooming. It's like a flower that started to bloom and our relationship started to bloom. And we got to this point where we were like, you know what, you know, you know, I just really, really, really like you, and and uh, I'm not sure still whether God wants me to marry you or not. But you know what? I, I'm pretty sure I want to try to pursue this further, and I want to I want to take it official. I want to and we want to go IPO. We want to make a public announcement at church, let them know that we are going out. And so, you know, after a couple months, we decided to do that. And then it happened to when we called her father. Her father was actually changed his heart. And then he gave us the green light. And he actually thought we were already going out. So hallelujah. Maybe we're slow about it. I don't know. But I'm just telling you that testimony to share with you that, you know, the way that we discover God's will is not just like this computer or this robot that's waiting for the answer to come to us. It needs to be as a friend that's engaged with God in a relationship. You know, it's like... uh Friendship with God is like um, music. It's like, this is why I love jazz music more than I enjoy classical. And uh, not to dog on people who, who like classical. I, I, you know, classical music is very well written. <laughs> but, you know, if I had to compare it to jazz, you know, classical is very static. You know, all the notes, rhythm, and melody, they have already been arranged by these geniuses that live hundreds of years ago and had all kinds of weird mental illnesses uh but we're gifted <laughs> but in jazz the music is much more dynamic and free yeah i really believe god has given us just as given us apple computers and windows and microsoft he has also given us <laughs> classical music and jazz for us to be able to see kingdom principles here um, let me explain it to you in jazz there is something called improvisation and imp- and improv the musician does not come with prearranged notes. He, he comes and he just plays what looks like whatever he wants. But if you understand jazz, you know that the musician is not just playing whatever they want. You got to stay within the parameters of the song's harmonic structure. But those boundaries are not limiting, but they provide a very canvas on which the musician can paint his masterpiece. You know, and in our relationship with God, the boundaries that God sets are his commands, is his word. And God gives us boundaries not to limit us, but to liberate us from the effects of sin. And the canvas on which God wants us to improvise is in our friendship with him. You see, he doesn't require when we come into his presence that we play all the right notes and say all the right things. Any more than when you sit down with a friend for dinner, they expect you to say all the right things. 
You know, when's the last time you sat down with a friend for dinner and they say, hey, hold on, man, you're saying the right, you're saying something wrong right now. I don't like the way you're talking to me. Like, no, when does that happen? You guys just talk. There's no script. There's a freedom in that friendship to be able to talk. God invites us to play beautiful music for him with our choices and our lives. He invites us to paint him a masterpiece. And as much as God's got his eyes on what we are doing for him, he's got more of his eyes set on who we are becoming. Because the Bible actually says that we are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship. Hallelujah. So that's why friendship is so important. A servant will never really mature and grow into a masterpiece. But a friend will. Because there's a freedom that comes with entering friendship with God. Hallelujah. Kingdom of God is much more like jazz than it is classical. That's all I want to say. You know, growing up, there was a movie called Blank, uh, Blank Check. Right? There's a movie called Blank Check. The little boy finds a blank check on the street somewhere. I never saw the movie, actually. But I thought the concept was really cool. And, the, and in America, we use checks. Koreans may not know what these are. All right? These are pieces of paper on which you write, I will give this much money to this, bunch, to this person. And then you date it, and then you give it that piece of paper to someone, and then they take it to the bank, and then they can't get the money that you promised to them. That's what a check is. That's what ends up happening a lot of times. Anyway, um, praise God that there's no checks in Korea that, that, that bounce and all this stuff. Anyway, uh, in the movie, uh, there's a little boy that finds a blank check and it's signed already. And so he has the ability, I guess, to fill it out with however much money he wants. And then I guess that's what he does. And then he goes on a shopping spree. I, I don't know. I, I didn't see the movie. Uh, but, you know, I, I heard about the movie and thought, what a wonderful thing if God blessed me in that way. You know, I grew up in, in, in Philadelphia, and we, weren't, we, weren't, we didn't have that much money. You know, and I had to work jobs, you know, beginning in high school. You know, and, um, and I always thought, man, well, how awesome would it be if I just got that blank check? Or what if when, you, when you're growing up as a kid, you know, you see a fountain or you see a wishing well, what would you do? You, you throw a penny in there. And if you were feeling generous, you put a dime. Okay, but you would throw a coin into the wishing well, and what, what, what would you do? Into a fountain, what would you do? You make a wish. Okay? Now, if you're not American and you go to America and you go to these fountains in the middle of the mall and they're filled with coins, okay, that's what happened. Okay? So a bunch of people, they see the fountain, they throw a coin in there, and what do they do? They make a wish. Don't ask me how it came about. Okay? It's just an American thing. And when I was a kid, I would always do this. Whenever there's a fountain, I'll look for a penny. And I, or I'll take a penny out of the fountain and I'll throw it back in. <laughs> Come on, y'all all did that at one point. Don't, don't tell me I'm the only one. And you would make a wish. You would be, how awesome would it be if, if God grant me this one wish, you know? Or when you blow out your birthday candles, what do you always do? You make a wish. Right? And a lot of times, somehow, my wishes will always be about my wife. And praise the Lord that God has made all my dreams come true. Um, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, but, you know, we would dream of having that one wish come true. How awesome would it be if we just got that one wish? You know, and, and what if God would just give you one wish? What would you wish for? And in the Bible, God approached a man named Solomon when he became king. And God did this with him. 
He says, Solomon, just ask for one. You only get one thing. One thing. Just ask and I'll give it to you. And we all know what the Solomon asked for. He asked for thousands of wives. No, I'm playing, I'm playing. But he, uh, he asked for wisdom, okay? And the irony is that uh, he had all the wisdom in the world except in regards to his marriage. Anyway, um, he asked for wisdom and that's what God gave him. And not only, God was so pleased with his request, you know, that God was like, you know what, you can just ask for any, anything else and I'll still give it to you. And so he got everything. He enjoyed a time of peace and prosperity during his, during his kingdom. Did you know that in the Bible, God has given us the same wish, but only better? Turn to John chapter 15. Look, look, look there, right? Look at verse 7. Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. He doesn't say, ask for one wish, and I'll maybe give it to you. He says, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say, I receive that. And instead of one blank check, God has given us an unlimited supply of blank checks. And, but this promise is granted in the context of Jesus talking about friendship with God. Now, you can't just be a believer, just run around doing whatever you want, living a selfish life and asking for whatever you wish and expect God to give it to you. Because this whole chapter in John chapter 15, which is where we got today's main passage about friendship from, Jesus actually mentions these things about these blank checks. Look at uh, verse 16. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Hallelujah. There you go again. The blank checks. God's just like, here you go. They're already signed. Here we go. Just take them, right? Look at chapter 16, verse 23. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, and he's talking about some day here. And hallelujah, I'm believing that we're coming into that day right now. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name, but ask and you will receive it that your joy may be full. Hallelujah. See, there is a joy that comes with partnering with God to bring his will onto the earth. Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Right? When you start to not only pray that, but to experience that, there's a joy that you experience as you co-labor and co-partner with God. As you partner with God. And these are promises. They're like blank checks. And God expects us to live by them and to cash them in. But you know, some religious people will tell you, you know, that, that was a specific promise for just the apostles. It's not for you. you know, and I, I'm just saying, don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. You know, for us to understand what Jesus is offering here, our traditional views of what it means to be a follower of Jesus has got to change. Tell, turn to your neighbor and tell him that. Your views of being a... Fo- your views have got to change. Look him. Look, look at him. Look at him. Take a scissor. Cut off the string and say, God never intended you to be a puppet. 
But in, in our approach, in our relationship with God, that's the way we think a lot of times. We think of ourselves as puppets. And we just think, whatever God says, I do. It's a servant mentality. And, and Jesus is just, he's trying to liberate us from that. Um, Bill Johnson says, God actually makes himself vulnerable to the desires of his people. In other words, if it matters to you, it matters to him. Now, just let that truth sink in. If it matters to you, it matters to him. If you relate it to God from this perspective and from this identity, your prayer life will radically change, by the way. Think about how differently you would pray for your lost relatives. You know, some of us, we pray for our lost relatives. We say, Lord, my uncle, he is a sinner. He's, he just goes drinking all the time, and I know where he'd be up to in late at night. Lord, you know my uncle. He's a sinner. Save him, Lord, if it be your will. But if not, I guess, well, I guess, well, you know, but Lord, save him if it be your will. And we pray that way. And we wonder, is it God's will? Is it God's will to save my uncle? Is it God's will to save my sibling? Right? And then we approach our prayer lives in that way. Or, or, or we think of our careers or marriages in a similar, in a similar light. But when you enter into friendship, God looks at what matters to you. And if it matters to you, he's saying it matters to me. Obviously, you've got to rise up into maturity. You need to rise up into that kind of relationship with God. And if you don't have a relationship with God like that, I would encourage you to nurture that kind of friendship and relationship with God. Because it's wonderful when you're up there. When you're, when you're relating with God in this kind of level, there is a joy. And it's not just joy of salvation. It is a joy of much more complete joy. Hallelujah. You know, if the only joy that you experience on earth is the joy of salvation, man, I don't think Jesus will say over you, oh, man, come into my presence, make your joy complete. On that day, your joy will not be complete if the only joy you know on earth is joy of salvation. There's a joy of co-laboring with God. Um, do you know that God wants to hear about your dreams and desires? He comes to you, he asks, what are the dreams of your heart? You know, so many people come up to me for counsel and they say, uh, Christian, I'm just so confused about my life. I don't know what direction to go in. I don't know what job to take. I don't know what, what's the next move for my life. Well, help me. And I, I, and I oftentimes I'll turn to them and I'll say, well, what do you want? And they say, well, well I want what God wants. <sighs> well, what do you want? And they'd be like, well, I want God, what God wants. Dude, just tell me what you want. What are, what are the things you're good at? What are the things you enjoy? Come on, tell me, tell me. All right, same thing with marriage, right? Man, I want to hurry up and get married. I, uh, Christian, I just don't know. There's no breakthroughs here. Um, there, I, there's a lot of wonderful men, but none of them really, you know, like, I, I don't know. I guess God, God hasn't spoken to me about any of them. So I just don't want to make a move. And, you know, I don't know what to do. You know, what should I do? And I, and, and I say, well, what do you want? And they'd be like, well, it, it shouldn't matter what I want. It shouldn't matter what God wants. I just want to find out who God wants. I just want their name and their phone number. And that should be enough, right? And then I should be able to tell them God told me so, and they should be convinced. And I say, well, what do you want? What, what, what do you want in a spouse? And that's why it's such a helpful activity just to list what you like and what you don't like. Because, by the way, you do have a list. You might be like, I don't have a list. Oh, yeah, you do. 
Some people just need to write it down and be like, you know what? I need straight teeth. I cannot have, I cannot marry somebody <laughs> whose teeth ain't straight. Uh, God's gotta have a full head of hair. Uh, totally. Actually, it's okay if it's a little bit receding. But only on the sides, not in the middle. Um, he's gotta at least be five foot six. Five foot six. And, uh, you know, no, you do. You do have these certain, you, 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 you have desires. I'm telling you right now, you guys have desires about a lot of different things. And you know what? Granted that some of those desires, the unholy ones, they need to be sanctified and surrendered. But the ones that you have nurtured in your, in the presence of God, the ones that you have nurtured as you have been relating to God, those desires, God doesn't want you to ignore them. He's going to ask you about them. He longs for us to express our deepest desires, not because he needs us, but because he loves us. Man, we're entering to love here. True love is where God, he just lets you, a free creature, just express to him what are the real desires of your heart. And then saying, you know what? I like that. That, that matters to you. That matters to me. You, you went to Pattaya and you saw that it is the prostitution capital of the world. And what? It broke your heart. And what? You want me to bring revival to that city because you believe that I can do it? If a Pattaya is that important to you, if it matters to you, it matters to me. I'm going to go check out what Pattaya is all about. I'm going to open up Patricia King's ministry to have an Operation Love project <laughs> in the middle of September. And I'll send people from your church to go there. And you will see Pattaya turn around for Christ. You know, we, we were in Thailand a couple of weeks ago and we had our leisure leg of, toward the end of the trip. We just went to Pattaya for a couple of days. And man, it was crazy. It was brothels everywhere, out in the open. I have never seen anything like it. You know that there are 30,000 prostitutes over the age of 18 in Pattaya alone. And that's not counting the, the, the children and the lady boys. Man, and you know, and you know that song, uh, God of the City? By the way, Chris Townham didn't write it. You know, he stole that thing from an Irish Christian band. Anyway, this band, they, they went, they were in Pattaya actually. And God gave them an opportunity to be able to play Christian songs in a brothel in the middle of Pattaya. So I was telling people at Friday Fire about this, you know, and so you got all these Europeans who are customers there and they're there to have a good time they're there to you know splurge on the pleasures of sin and here they're walking around surrounded by brothels and they hear this christian music blasting out of this brothel right imagine what went through their minds you know anyway in the middle of this set the 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 leader of this team the leader of the band he just started to get this song greater things have yet to come lord you're the you're the god of this city it doesn't look like it, but Lord, you are the God of the city. And we want you to be God of the city. You are the king of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. That's what you are. God, make it real, Lord. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done here in Pattaya. And he just started to sing this. Greater things have yet to come into this city. And that's how the song got birthed. And that's where we were a couple of weeks ago. And we were, we were just so 
broken by how bad it was. And you know what? This past week, God opened up a door uh, for four, three of our sisters and one of our, uh, and our brother Roy to go to Pattaya on a missions project. It's like an evangelism training conference. And what they do is they train you and they worship and they pray and then they go out right on the streets of Pattaya from 10 in the morning to 10 at night. They do it for a whole week. And they move in signs, wonders, miracles, healings. And they did this already in the spring, and they saw incredible results. And so they're so excited they're, they're going to be doing this. And so we're going to send about four people. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about that a little bit later. But you know what? When I heard about this opportunity, it was almost like God was saying, Christian, I saw that Pattaya mattered to you. Because when I was there, man, I could have just been like, you know what? I'm never coming back to, to this city for a tourist destination. This is not a tourist destination. This is like a Sodom and Gomorrah here. You know, I could have said that. But you know what? I, I looked and I said, no, Lord, this, this, is, this is not right. I refuse this. I reject this condition. Lord, I want to see something change here. I want, I want your glory to come into this city. And I believe that in, in what looks like a God-forsaken town, you can c- cause revival and you can turn these prostitutes and these pimps you can turn them around as servants of your kingdom as as friends of god even you know and i, and I, I that was the cry of my heart and when god opened up this opportunity this past week i said oh man it's almost like god was saying if it matters to you it matters to me here you go you know people uh enjoy spending time with their friends amen All right and when you spend time in God's presence, as a friend, your desires begin to change. And what you think are what matters to you is actually things that matter to God. And that's what's beautiful about this whole thing. We become like the one that we worship. And the Bible says that we are a new creation, and it is our new nature to seek to know what God, uh, to seek to know God and to seek to know His ways. And it is our new nature to please him with our thoughts, ambitions, dreams, and desires. And so what happens is when you get saved, you are a new creation. And these desires that you think were all about you and your selfish ambitions, actually, God starts to get rid of old ones that were selfish ambitions. And he starts to give you the ones that are of his heart. So they're in such oneness and communion with God, you can't tell if it's God's or if it's yours. But one thing God wants you to do, he wants you to tell him and to pray about the desires of your heart. Yeah, and there are some people who are so filled with the religious spirit, they have a great difficulty with this concept of friendship with God. They consider the implications to be an assault on God's sovereignty. I'll tell you right now, I mean, I'm a Calvinist. You know, I make it clear that I'm all about Reformed theology. But I'm all about God's sovereignty. But the way I see friendship with God and its implications, I don't really think it's an attack on God's sovereignty. Jack Taylor said it like this. God is so secure in his sovereignty, he is not afraid to appear unsovereign. Uh, Some of y'all look at me with blank stare. Let me read that again. God is so secure in his sovereignty that he is not afraid to appear unsovereign. You know, God's sovereignty is not denied by our assignment as a co-laborer for Christ. 
You know, we need to learn to nurture the desires that are born in our intimate friendship with God. Uh, those are the desires that can serve as seeds for the greatest and most powerful moves of God on the earth. We need to stop discounting and dismissing our desires. We need to stop abusing the statement, he must increase, I must decrease. And there's some people that say, uh, less of me, more of you, Lord. And others that go gung-ho and they say, none of me and all of you, Lord. And it sounds noble. It sounds like it's the Christian thing to say. it, and, and they say it to prove their surrender for God. But Bill Johnson says this. He says, this selfless approach overshoots the will of God and actually denies the fact that God is the father of the dreams and abilities that are within them. You know, these statements, it sounds good on the outside, but it can work against God's purpose for you on the inside. And we got to be careful. We got to be careful of just, just wallowing in this, you know, holy modesty, you know, less of me, Lord, all of, all, more of you, none of me, all of you. I must decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. Hey, brother, that was, you know, that was great. You were leading worship, you know, beautifully today. I mean, we, I'm sure you put a lot of practice into it. God bless you. Hey, man, I must decrease. He must increase. Yeah, all right, dude. I'm just saying, man, you, uh, we just want to bless you that you're doing such a good job as a worship leader. Hey, man, all glory to God is none of me, all of him. Man, and you know what? When I hear things like that, it sounds great, but inside it, it annoys me a little bit. People don't get it. It's kind of obnoxious, actually. You're, you're, you're trying to front for lack of intimacy that you have with God. And trying to appear all holy and noble and humble, but you just come off being like you're over, overshooting, you're over, trying to overprove yourself. You know? We need to distinguish between uh, entrance into the kingdom of God and life. Uh, entrance to the kingdom of God and life within the kingdom of God. And this is something Bill Johnson was saying. Entrance into the kingdom of God is straight and narrow. Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. There is no way to the Father but through him. But did you know that life inside the kingdom is much bigger? Now, it's bigger in the inside than it is on the outside. So, it is... Inside the kingdom that we find the Lord saying to us, you're no longer servants, but friends. And it's in this context that Jesus says that you can ask whatever you want and the Father will give it to you. And that's right. The emphasis is not on what God wants. The emphasis is on what you want. When you enter into friendship with God... The 100% emphasis that you had on what God wants. I want to know what God wants for my marriage. Who does he want me to marry? I want to know where God wants me to go on missions and what God wants me to do next in my life. And the emphasis starts to fall on God saying, what would you like? If if you're nurturing a friendship with God. And and then God says, hey, 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 shh. But Lord, I must decrease, you must increase, shh. What are the dreams and desires on your heart? Talk to me about that. And do you really want it? Talk to me about that. How do you want me to respond? Talk to me about that. And there you go. It is not a master talking to a servant. But it's a friend 
talking with a friend. The Bible says, Exodus 33, 11, Moses spoke to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Religious scholars and teachers will tell you that this special face-to-face relationship was reserved only for people like Moses. That's what they tell you. And that's what we really believe growing up. And that we can never never enter into such friendship and intimacy with the Lord. And they say that Moses had a special invitation and access to the Lord on Mount Sinai. You know? And, and actually, if God gave you this kind of invitation and access and you knew that you can talk to God as a friend face to face, if you had to climb a mountain, would you do it? Yeah. How many of you guys in here will climb a mountain one or two hours, maybe even three, maybe even a day's travel just so that you can have this kind of face to face friendship with God? That's good. Those are like half of you. Others, y'all, I ain't, I ain't, I ain't doing that. <laughs> God's going to have to make another way <laughs> I ain't climbing no Mount Sinai. Well, brothers and sisters, the good news is you don't have to climb Mount Sinai to have intimacy with God. Because there's someone else that has climbed the hill of Calvary for you. Jesus climbed the hill of Calvary. He climbed Mount Sinai. The laws of God. He climbed and he fulfilled everything so that you can have intimacy and friendship with God. You guys tell me, look at the writings of the Apostle Paul and then look at the writings of Moses. Just compare. Who do you think had a deeper friendship with God? Yeah, Paul didn't have to go up a mountain. Yeah, he didn't see uh, certain, certain things, but he saw Incredible signs and wonders in his life as well. If you really look into the writings of Paul, you will see a man who enjoyed greater intimacy and friendship with God than Moses did. And what Paul says is, in 2 Corinthians 3.12, since we have this hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would have to put a veil over his face. A veil over his face. What the Bible is trying to tell us is that we have incredible access and invitation to friendship with God. And it is of a level that is greater than even the one that Moses enjoyed on Mount Sinai. Can somebody say amen? He wants to speak to you. He wants to hear from you as a man speaks to his friend. So brothers and sisters, my message is simple today is... You are a friend of God. Do whatever you need to do to enter into that friendship. Because what God's about to do through that friendship is far beyond anything that you can ever imagine or think of on your own. Let's pray. I want to take this time. I want you guys to just talk to God. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Maybe your neighbor ain't doing it, but you know what? Who cares what your neighbor's saying or what your neighbor's doing? Maybe he's listening, eavesdropping. Let him eavesdrop. You talk to God right now. God is asking you what is on your heart. And if you're struggling, you're backslidden, he's just asking you, 
How long are you going to live like this? Why? What's driving you to live like this? And he just wants you to talk to him. Lord, you know what happened. That just messed me up. And I just lost my trust in you. And God, I, I just... I want, I want this intimacy that Pastor Christian is talking about. And Lord, I, I believe you have made the first move. And I believe that you are inviting me and you're giving me access. Lord, um, just... Lord, bring me into this friendship that is being preached today. Lord, I don't want to live where I'm the master. Lord, I want you to be my master. But Lord, I don't want to just be your servant. I want to be your friend. Brothers and sisters, right now, come on, all over this place. Leaders, help them out. Uh, Let's just start talking to God. Tell them about your dreams, your desires. Tell them what's on your heart because God is listening right now. He's turning his ear toward New Philadelphia right now. Let's pray. Lord God, um, I'm so glad that God, you opened up doors for uh, these people from our church to go to Pattaya. And Lord God, I really meant it, Lord. When I was in Pattaya, Lord, my heart was so broken for all those young children that are trapped in those brothels, all those young women that are serving as prostitutes. So God, I know that, Lord, that was not the dream of their heart when they were growing up. That was not the desire, oh God, Lord, that they, they had when they were growing up, oh God, Lord. They're, they're, some of them, a lot of them are trapped. And God, Lord, it is my prayer that you would turn Pattaya around. I thank you that, God, you're opening up the doors, oh God, for you to send your servants into that city and to begin to really establish your lordship in that city, that you would indeed be the God of Pattaya, Lord. And I'm praying that, oh God, Lord, over that city even right now, God, that, Lord, that you would bring a revival, bring healing and deliverance to that city, oh God. May your name be exalted, oh God. May churches be built in that city, oh Lord. And oh God, Lord, that is a desire of my heart even right now, God, Lord, to talk to you about that city, oh God. And I'm just so excited. I pray you're blessed, oh God, Roy and Lisa, oh God, Lord, and Mina and Aaron as they go. I pray you're blessed them with incredible experiences of your power, of your signs and wonders and miracles. And God, I just pray that, God, you just bless them, oh God, Lord, and use, oh God, Lord, their obedience, oh God, to bring a breakthrough for that city, oh God. And I pray, oh God, Lord, for all the newcomers that are here today in New Philadelphia, God. I'm praying, even visitors, even old-comers, oh God, I pray that you will bless and speak to them right now, Lord. I pray that by your spirit, oh God, Lord, what I want to see in them is that, Lord, that they're, the touch from you, even if it's one visit today, a touch from you today, oh God, will completely set the course of their life, oh God, Lord, in a different path, oh God, will cause them to look to you. There will be paradigm shifts happening, even in their mind right now, oh God. I pray that right now, God, I want to see that, Lord. I want to see that, oh God, Lord. That's my desire, God. That's my desire today, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. I pray, oh God. Oh, hallelujah. I pray that God you just bless you. Lord, we just thank you, God, for the uh, amazing truth. An identity that we have in Christ as a friend of God. Lord, you no longer call us servants, but friends. Because you are making known to us the mysteries of the Father's heart. You're making known to us the secrets of the kingdom. Revelation and insight into parables, wisdom, 
and truths of your word. Lord, you are revealing these things to us because you're calling us friends. Lord, may each and every person here in this room, may each and every person here at New Philadelphia, may their BFF always be Jesus. And I pray that God, not only will we say it, but we would experience it, we will live it. It will be, oh God, the song of our hearts. I am a friend of God, and I know it. Hallelujah. For Lord God, your call is not just for us to get saved. It's not for us just to obey. But you're calling us, oh God, to co-labor and to engage your heart and to be united with the things that matter to you. And for our desires and dreams, oh God, to be at oneness with your desires and dreams. So that, Lord, the things that come out of our mouths are the overflow of a heart that is just so captivated and such intimacy with you, God, that we can't even tell the difference between what is our heart and your heart. But, God, all we know is, God, everything that we say out of the overflow of our hearts, we want it to be pleasing in your sight. We want it, oh God, to make you excited, oh God. We want to have the fullness of joy. Of experiencing this kind of intimacy, Lord. Would you bless each person, Lord. With paradigm shifts, perspective changes. May the religious spirit that has been beating them down. Calling them, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a failure. You're a sinner saved by grace. And that's the only thing that that religious spirit makes them, making them emphasize. I pray that, Lord, that, that those religious spirits right now. I come against and take authority over them. I bind every religious spirit and every yoke that religious spirits have placed upon God's people. And I loose it off of people right now in Jesus' name. I pray that they will be broken off of people's minds, off of people's shoulders. And I pray that they will take upon your yoke, oh God. And not the yokes, oh God, of this world or the yokes of the devil. I pray that, Father, that they would enter into, and that they will enter into friendship with you. And that they will be not like Moses, but they will be bold about it. Because we have this hope. We have this hope that indeed you are calling us to be your friend. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.